just like last week, I'm going to start this week off the same way Pastor Randy used to start off all the sermons, with the Bible confession, because I want to get in our hearts this morning that this truly is the Word of God and how important it is. And we're going to believe that this is the Word of God. Amen? So if you would, if, if you don't have a Bible and you need one, if you raise your hand, the ushers will help you out. Also, if you're using an app, that's okay, too. Um, but I want you to grab your Bible or grab your app, whatever it is, and hold it up. We have one Bible here. Anybody else need one? Tardis, both hold up. Yeah, hold up your Bible, hold up your hand. <laughs> you can stand if you want. We're just going to make this declaration of faith, all right? This is my Bible. I am who it says I am. I have what it says I have. And I can do what it says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I'm about to receive the incorruptible seed of the ever-living Word of God. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to make that confession, I want to make that declaration because the things that I say today, I hope you don't take it as words from Jason. Because what I say doesn't amount to much. What I say doesn't mean much. But what God says, whole new level. Because when God speaks something into existence, guess what? It happens. What happened back at the very beginning when he said, let there be light? Oh, there it is. There's light, right? Whenever he declared these things to happen, whenever he said, hey, there's going to be fish in the sea. Boom, there's fish in the sea, right? I can say that. I can say, God, let there be fish in this lake so I can catch one of them. And it doesn't work. I tried. But if he says it, it works, right? And I do believe that, that our words do have power. I believe that, that in, in faith we can speak things into existence in, in, to some degree. But it's not the same as God himself speaking it, right? We follow that. I'm not God. You're not God. He is. Are we all on the same page there? Okay, good. So most weeks... I have the, uh, or many weeks anyway, I have the privilege, as uh, Chris did this morning, of, of hosting you guys and, and uh, sharing with you guys, greeting you, welcoming you, and teaching on giving. It's one of the things I've, I've had the opportunity to teach on a lot of times, and I, I really enjoy it. Uh, you know, sometimes I, I feel as if I repeat myself because I talk about some of the same aspects of giving over and over and over. And so sometimes I think maybe you're getting bored of hearing the same things, but the thing is, the, the Word of God is true. So no matter how many times you hear it, it's still true, Right? But I've, I've talk, talked to you about tithing. I've talked to you about first fruits, right? I've talked about generosity, stewardship, saving, faithfulness, just about anything and everything as it relates to giving and even, you know, finances of different sorts we've talked about, yeah? You guys remember some of this? Okay, good. Um, I teach this stuff because I truly believe that God has called each of us to give generously and faithfully. I believe that his word is very clear on that. I truly believe that we serve the greatest giver of all time. And if we're going to be like him, we must learn to give generously and faithfully, right? I also believe the scripture is clear that if you give to him as his word says and his word directs, and as the spirit of God leads, he, it will lead to blessing in your life and provision. I honestly believe that. That's why I teach it. I wouldn't teach it if I didn't believe it. One thing, I, you know, in my, in my business, I get one hat I get to wear is that of salesman. I get to be a salesperson. I get to tell people what we're going to do. And one thing about being a salesman, I cannot sell something I don't believe in. There are the salesmen out there, you know, the, the quintessential used car salesman that doesn't believe in his product but sells it anyway and tells you how great it is and how wonderful it is. It's never going to break down ever in your life, and it breaks down 30 minutes after you drive off the lot, right? I, I'm not that guy. I can't be that guy because when I say something, i got to truly believe it or else I, can't, I just can't do it. I, I'm too straightforward to do that, right? I can't hide stuff like that. So when I teach this stuff, it's because I believe it. I believe it's true. And so I believe when you tithe that God will rebuke the devourer on your behalf. I believe that whenever you tithe and you give, he will open the, door, the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. Why do I believe that? Because his word says so. And if his word says it, then it's got to be true, right? Are you with me this morning? All right, this morning, I'm not going to talk about giving. Instead, we're going to go the other way. Because this morning, I feel like God wants me to talk about receiving. And we'll look at not just giving, but receiving. As Jesus directed the disciples in Matthew 10, 8, he said, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, 
freely give. I don't believe that we can truly understand the fullness of giving without receiving from God. I think it's a two-way street. I believe God called us to be conduits of his, of his word and of his love and of his power. And so we have to learn to receive first before we can give it to others. You have to re- learn to receive forgiveness so that you can extend that forgiveness to somebody else. You have to learn to receive healing so that you can extend that to somebody else. You have to learn to receive love so that you can extend that love to somebody else. So this morning, to be, in order to be conduits of God's grace, you've got to learn to both give and to receive. So this morning, my assignment is positioning ourselves to receive. God, I pray that you would speak through me today. I pray, Lord God, that you would anoint me to speak your very words. I pray, Lord, that you'd put me on and wear me. I pray that you would speak through me, that your words would come forth, Lord God, that you'd open the ears of, of your people to hear, open their hearts to receive. And Lord God, it's not about me, it's all about you this morning. Let your word come forth in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, uh, we covered 1 John verses five, uh, chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, right? We've been going through 1 John for, for several months now. Um, and today, we're going to kind of sidestep that a little bit. We are going to begin by, by reading uh, verses 14 and 15 today. As the topic, we're, we're discussing dovetails with those, with those scriptures. But we're not going to continue on with 1 John any further than that. Um, because this is what I feel like feel led to, to do. So 1 John chapter 5, verses 14. Now, i gotta, I got to warn you today. There's going to be a lot of scripture reading. We're actually going to read through some large passages uh, that are narrative passages. So they're stories that, that, that continue. You can't just read one verse or, or skip a bunch of, or else you miss the storyline, right? So, so, so stick with me today as we read through Scripture, because like I said, God knows better than I do. His words speak a lot louder and, and more powerfully than mine do. So uh, we're going to start with verse, verse 14. It says this, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So last week, we spent a lot of time going over that. We talked about what it means to ask according to his will, right? We talked a lot about what it means to ask over and over and over again. That, that when it says to ask, it doesn't mean to ask one time and be done with it, but to ask over and over and over, to ask and keep on asking. Well, why is that? Is it because he didn't hear us the first time? No, not at all. I believe God hears us the very first time we ask for something. I think it does something in our heart. Because whenever we ask and we say, God, I'm, I'm still depending on you for this. I'm still depending on you. It, it shows us that we're continuing to put our faith in him. It wasn't just a one time, hey, God, you know, you're throwing up a prayer saying, God, do something. Uh, it didn't work. Oh, well. No. It didn't work yet. I haven't seen the results yet. But that doesn't mean it's not going to work, right? So we're going to keep praying. And we're going to keep asking. And I got to say that whenever we keep praying and keep asking, he will work on our behalf. It doesn't always happen in our timeline. It doesn't always happen the way we want it to, the way we think it's going to. And that's what we talked about last week, right? Was that it doesn't always happen the first time. It doesn't always happen the way we think it's going to happen. But it's going to happen, I believe. Sometimes the answers are going to come on the other side in eternity, right? And we know that, that the Bible talks about heaven. There's, there's, there's no tears in heaven. There's no crying. There's no pain. There's no. That's great. So... We know that all of our diseases are going to be healed in heaven. That's a given. I believe that he wants to do that stuff here as well. And so it's, it's kind of this, this uh, difficulty sometimes we have to, to, to weigh out the, the balance, right? God, I want to see the healing, and I believe it's possible, and I believe you want to do it, and I'm going to trust you for it. But if I don't, I'm okay with that. I'm going to keep trusting you. Why? Because you are true. You are right. You are holy. You're righteous. I'm not. Your ways are higher than my ways. Right? All right, so so last week we talked a good deal about this. And the part that, that we really focused on, and if he, we know he hears us, we know that we have the request that we've asked of him. So if God hears us and we know we have these requests, we need to keep on asking. We need to keep on trusting him. But this morning we're going to look at a few examples of Scripture in order to understand how to position ourselves to receive from God. You guys ready? All right, so we're going to start in... Second uh, Kings. We're going to talk. We're going to read through a, a lot of the scripture here in chapters four and chapter five. Second Kings, chapter four. There are several accounts of people from various 
echelons of society who receive miracles from God. There's three in particular that we're going to talk about. The first one's a poor woman who has basically nothing to her name. The second one is a, is a couple, really. Uh, it talks mostly about the woman, but also her husband. So it's a couple of, of some means. It says they're actually they're wealthy. So I'd say they're, I mean, it's hard to know exactly. What does that mean? They're wealthy? Are they middle class? Are they, you know, a little bit higher in society? I don't know. But they're certainly not like the poor woman, right? And then the third one we're going to talk about is a foreigner of extreme wealth, a guy that had, he just loaded. All three of them received from God. And they all three had to be positioned in order to receive from God. And so this morning, that's what we're going to discuss. Um, I believe that these accounts were put together, though, so that it can show us that no matter who we are, no matter where we come from, no matter where we stand, all of us are eligible to receive from God. Amen? If we're poor, we can receive from God. If we're rich, we can receive from God. If we're black, we can receive from God. If we're white, we can receive from God. If we're a man, if we're a woman, if we're tall, if we're short, it doesn't matter. Everybody can receive from God. Amen? You believe that? You realize we don't serve a God who only services one type of person, right? We don't serve a God who only is the God of men, only the God of women. No, we serve a God who is God of everyone. He can work in all of our lives. So 2 Kings chapter 4, the first account we're going to begin begins just in, in verse 1. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elijah, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take away my two children to be a slave. And Elisha said to her, Why was your husband so foolish as to take out loans that he didn't pay off? Why didn't he have enough life insurance to cover something like this? How dumb was he? Didn't he listen to Dave Ramsey? Wait, it, I'm sorry, I got off. That's not what it said. That's what our thoughts go to sometimes, at least mine. Sorry. So this is what he really said. He said, Elijah said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? So I want to notice something real quick here before we go any further. He did not condemn her for getting in a mess. He didn't condemn her because they were in debt. Now, we know that the Bible says that that's not a good thing, that we shouldn't take on debt. We shouldn't be slave, you know, slaves to somebody else. But he doesn't condemn her for that. He says, what do you have? In our minds, in our natural, sometimes we, we look at that and we do, we do jump to, to conclusions. And we say, you know, well, she shouldn't have been in that way in the first place. They shouldn't have lived beyond their means. Look, you don't know the situation. You don't know what her life held before that. You don't know that maybe they were making progress. Maybe they had gotten out of a bunch of debt. But they still had some debt. And so the creditors are coming to take away her kids. He said, your, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go outside borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And she poured, as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. And the oil stopped flowing. He came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil, pay off your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. What do we see in this account? We see a woman who is poor in, in tough circumstances, but she was humble enough to ask. She not only prayed to God and said, God, I need, I need a miracle, but she asked another believer. She asked Elisha to help her in her situation. Now, she wasn't asking Elisha to help her because she wanted him to bail her out. Understand, Elisha could have bailed her out, probably, because Elisha had an in with the king. He could talk to the king and say, hey, this, this woman needs some help. Can you help her out? But that's not what he did. He listened to God. He heard the voice of God on her behalf, told her what to do, and she did it. But she had to be humble enough, first of all, to ask for help and to ask another believer to come beside her and believe with her. Sometimes we need other believers to come beside us. Sometimes the emotions of our situation are such that we can't hear God on our own behalf because we're so caught up in the situation that it's so heavy, so burdensome for us that when all we hear is, is static. 
Sometimes we need other believers to come beside us and believe with us. Amen? That's why we're all members of one body. But the second thing we see is that she used what she had. It wasn't much. She didn't know what or even if God could use it. I mean, she might have said, hey, all I got is a little bit of oil. And the prophet said, yeah, that's not going to do much. Never mind. But that's not what happened, right? I love to think about what could have been, right? Anyway, uh, she told the prophet what she had, and she was willing to do whatever he asked. I think sometimes that we don't, we don't think that what we have is even worth mentioning. I might have a gift that I can do this, but it's not that important. Nobody cares about that. Sometimes it's, it's little things that can make a big impact. Sometimes we have gifts and talents that we don't even recognize as gifts and talents because to us, it's just little. I have this discussion frequently with my wife. My wife is an excessively, extremely talented artist, musician, singer, all that kind of stuff. It amazes me what she can do in that realm. And yet she looks at what I do in business and she's like, how do you think that way? How do you do that? And I'm like, that's, I wake up thinking that. That's just the way that my mind works, right? I think of numbers all the time. We have these discussions that are pretty funny that I'll be sitting in a restaurant or sitting somewhere. I'm not really thinking about how nicely decorated it is. I'm not thinking about how good the food is. I'm thinking about, okay, wait a second. There's about 65 people in here. They're all eating. They're all spending. Do you realize how much money they're making right now? (laughs) Or the other way, sitting somewhere and saying, how is this place still open? There's two people in the whole restaurant. We've been here for an hour. They've made a total of, you know, $87. How do they stay in business, right? I think of this stuff. That's just the way my mind works. She doesn't think that way. She's gifted differently than me. So we don't think sometimes that our gifts matter that much. We think, oh, it's just what I do. She thinks about artistic things. It's not that big a deal. We were talking just yesterday about some brick cleaning that I had to bid for a job. And, uh, the way that it works is taking all the faux finish off the brick. And she's like, well, why can't we just pay somebody to go in there and just, you know, re- repaint all those bricks? I don't think about having somebody go and repaint thousands of bricks because I think I would never do that. Like, not in my wildest dreams. But she's like, well, somebody could go in there and do that, and it'd be a whole lot cheaper than taking the bricks off. and re-. Yeah, it would be. But that's not the way that... that restoration companies typically do things and that's it's out of my hands it's not not something i want to get into matter of fact it's a job i was trying to talk myself out of because i don't want to mess with it but the whole idea is the whole point i'm I'm trying to make here is we think of things differently our gifts and our talents are not the same as everybody else's right so sometimes we think that little jar of oil i have it really doesn't amount to much i don't even want to want to mention it i don't want to say that i can do that because it ain't gonna go that far But if God tells you to use that gift, if God tells you to use the little bit that you have, he can bring a miracle out of that. Amen? So number one, she was humble enough to ask. Number two, she she used what she had. Number three, she was willing to borrow vessels from her neighbors. Now, this took courage for her to ask her neighbors to borrow some vessels. Go back to this idea a minute. This lady is so poor that she's about to lose her kids. She has nothing. Do you realize that when she goes to her neighbor and says, hey, can I borrow one of your jars? The neighbor's thinking, what's the chance I'm going to get this jar back? Probably ain't going to happen. Maybe I have some old dirty jars somewhere. I don't know. They're not looking to give her the best probably because they know that they're not going to get it back. They know that she can't afford to pay them back. So if, if she drops the jar and breaks it or whatever, they're out, right? It took courage for her to ask, and yet she did it. It also took humility to go and ask for help, ask to borrow something. I don't, know that, I don't know about you guys, but for me, it's a struggle to ask to borrow something from somebody else. I look at it and say, you know what? Rather than borrowing that, I'm just going to go buy my own because I don't want to bother them. Even though they probably don't mind. They're not using it. It's sitting around, whatever. I, people borrow my tools all the time, but if some re- for some reason, reciprocate that to go the other way, I have a hard time with that. I know wherever John Martinez is, he let me borrow his uh, log splitter a couple times, and I really appreciate that, John. But it's hard for me to ask because... Well, it's, it's his. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, bother him. She was willing to do that, though. Uh, how many times do we think that, that we have to handle things, though, all by ourselves? 
Church, we cannot act as a body and still be separate from the rest of the body. We have to learn to lean on the body of Christ. We have to learn to lean on each other. Um, and we got to allow God to use the gifts that he's given to others to help meet our needs. She didn't depend only on her own oil, but she depended on the vessels of all of her friends to make this miracle happen. And finally, in this, in this, we see that she was obedient to the word of the Lord. What the prophet directed her to do didn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, if I got one jar of oil and I try to pour it into 30 or 40 other ones, it ain't going to work. It doesn't fill them up like that. That's, you know, she might get a little, little dab in each, in each jar, but it doesn't work that way in the natural, right? And, you know, you might think, well, she's going to water it down, but oil and water don't mix. So that wasn't an option, right? It had to be God telling her to do this. It had to be a miracle, and she had to obey in order for it to happen. In the natural, it wasn't going to happen. But she was obedient to God anyway. So that's the first account. That's the account of the poor woman. The next account starts in the next verse, in verse 8. One day Elisha went to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold, I know, behold now I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp so whenever he comes to us he can go in there before we continue with this story I want to note a couple of things about Elisha in this passage this time it's the prophet who is the first to receive from the Shunammite woman and her husband he stops in at, at her urging to eat and then all of a sudden it becomes a regular stop every time he's in town he says hey let's go back to her house She's a nice lady. She takes care of us. She cooks good food. We're going to stop in every time. She recognizes him to be a man of God and wants to bless him. We should note here, though, that he, Elijah, the prophet of God, is willing to receive from her. He's the one that produces the miracles usually. He's the one that gives to everybody else, right? But this time, he receives from her. Takes a little bit of humility on his part, I guess, right? He didn't have to accept her hospitality. Matter of fact, his predecessor, Elijah, God fed him from, with birds one time. He had the birds dropping food to him and stuff. So, And this dude has a double portion of, of the same anointing that, that Elijah had. So uh, he didn't need this lady to, to feed him. I think she's probably a good cook, though. I don't know. So the prophet himself was in need of food at, uh, of some sort, right? Somebody had to provide it. He needed a place to stay. But I know I struggle with this sometimes. People offer something, and every time my first thought is, no, no, thank you. When I go to somebody's house, hey, can I get something to drink? No, thank you. I'm good. Now, usually if they ask two or three times, fine, I'll say, okay, I'll, I'll have a glass of water, whatever. I might have wanted water the first time, but my pride says, you got to say no. you got to turn it down. Why? I don't know. It's stupid. It's, it's, it's a cultural thing, I guess. But he said, okay, you want to feed me? I'll take it. Why not? But the next thing we notice, too, about Elisha is that he developed a relationship with this couple. He didn't just go in once, but he came by often. He stopped every time he was in town. He developed a friendship. I imagine that every time he had dinner with them, they had some good conversations. They were probably fun people to be around. If he didn't like their company, I don't think he'd have stopped in a second time, right? But he kept on stopping. And he developed his friendship with him. He developed a relationship with him. Had he remained isolated, not only would he have missed out on the meals, not only would he have missed out on a place to stay, he'd have missed out on the fellowship. And I think that sometimes this is often missing in the church today. We come here on Sunday mornings, we shake each other's hands, we say hello, and we go home, and we don't see each other for, for another week. We do it again next week. Same thing. You do it again the next week. Same thing. We need to learn as a church to, to build relationships with one another. We need to learn to be able to depend on each other. Once again, if we're a body, we need to act like a body and not act independent of one another. 
I know it's hard because as Americans, we we're, we're have an independent nature about us. We have a, a tendency to be independent. And then you, you throw in things like air conditioning and, and no longer, we don't have to even walk outside to see each other anymore. We just stay in our little house watching television and never leave, right? But that's, that's something we need to learn to do is build relationships. Elijah did that. Elisha did that, right? Um, but going on, that, this isn't Elisha's story here. We're talking about the, the Shunammite story. So verse 11, one day there came, he came there and he turned into the uh, chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, he said, call the Shunammite. When he called her, she stood before him. And, he said to, and she said to him, say now to her, see, you have taken all this trouble for us. What's to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on behalf, on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. So see, as, as we talk about the first, the first woman, she was a poor woman. He could have gone to the king on her behalf, but that wasn't the case. This, this woman who has, she's a woman of means. She's, she's a little bit wealthy. But he says, hey, do you want me to go speak to the king? I can go, what do, what do you want? We can, we can make it happen. I'm good. I live among my own people. I have my needs met. I'm happy. I'm good. She uh, initially turned down, she was reluctant to ask anything of the prophet, right? Verse 14, and he said, what then is to be done for her? Gehazi, the servant, answered, well, she has no son and her husband's old. He said, call her. And when he called her, she stood in the doorway and he said, at this season, about this same time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived and she bore a son. In that time, the following spring, as Elisha had said to her. You know, as she blessed the man of God, he in return wants to bless her. She wasn't seeking anything from him at this point. She didn't ask for anything. Matter of fact, he said, hey, what can I give you? She said, nothing, I'm good. But he simply wanted to bless her for her kindness to him. And although she didn't ask, God knew the desire of her heart. Psalm 37, 4 tells us that if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. That's not just something to write on a coffee cup. It's, it's true. That's what God wants. He wants you to have the things you desire. Right? And so she didn't even say what it was. And yet somehow God revealed it to the prophet. She had what she wanted. But her story goes on. In verse 18, it says, When the child had grown... He went out one day to his father among the reapers, and he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head. The father said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. And when she had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on his lap till noon and then died. And she went up and laid, laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and, and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. He said, Why will you go to him today? It's neither the new moon or the Sabbath. Said all is well. And so she saddled the donkey, and she said to her servant, Urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. Now we're just going to summarize the next few verses. We're not going to read all of it, but Elijah travels, presumably from Mount Carmel all the way back to Shunem. That's somewhere between about 18 and 25 miles, depending on which part of the mountain they were on and all that kind of stuff. By foot, 20 miles is a long way. Riding on the back of a donkey, 20 miles, still a long way, right? This is putting the man of God out. She's asking a lot. She's not just saying, hey, would you just, you know, say a blessing, say a prayer for my son. You know, raise your hand if you need prayer. No, he's got to walk 20 miles. That's a, good, that's a good walk for a day. I don't know, maybe a day and a half. What does is, what is the GPS say that the walking distance hasn't changed? But due to the relationship that they had established from all those meals together, due to the, due to the relationship that they had established because he, she provided a, a room for him to stay in, all of a sudden the man of God says, I'll come. I'll take care of you. Long story short, he sends first the servant with the staff and says, hey, lay the staff on the kid. Kid doesn't doesn't wake up. He shows up at the house. He lays on him, and and it doesn't work the first time. He does it again. Doesn't work. Finally, 
it really works. The, the, the boy's raised up from the dead. The woman has a son back. All this because of the relationship that she had built with him by blessing him first and then him, him going on. So uh, like the widow in the first story, this woman and her husband, they used what they had. In this case, they, they were people of means. So they built a, they built a room for them. They, they fed them. They, they took care of them, right? They're not poor like the first lady. She didn't have anything to offer. These people had something to offer, and so they, they offered what they had. Uh, they used their wealth to feed, to provide a place for them, and it resulted in not just one but two miracles. First, a son being born, and then a son being raised from the dead. Like the first widow, this woman was humble enough and willing to ask when she had a need in her life. And although this doesn't say it directly, by showing hospitality to the prophets, she was obeying the law and thus obeying God. The Old Testament law provided, said to, you're supposed to provide for strangers, provide for people who don't have a place. You're supposed to show hospitality. That was part of the law. That was a requirement of every Israelite was to show hospitality. Now, we know if you read throughout the Old Testament, there's a lot of times where they didn't show hospitality, right? There's times when people came into town and there was no place for them to stay. They stayed in the middle of the courtyard or whatever. Or, you know, there's all kinds of stories talking about that. But this woman obeyed God. She obeyed the word of God. She did what she was supposed to do. And as a result, she had miracles happen. So that brings us to the third story, and that, that's in chapter 5. In chapter 5, we read an account of Naaman. And you might remember me discussing Naaman before. I, I talked about it a few weeks ago. There's so much to this account that Naaman nearly misses out on this miracle. But after, after plotting by his servants, he begrudgingly positions himself for a miracle. You hear that? He begrudgingly did it. He didn't want to do it, but he did. So let's, let's read this account. Verse 1, Now Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man with his master and highly respected because by him the Lord had given victory to Aaron. Now, wait a second. The last I checked, uh, Aram, it's also called Syria, is not Israel. It's not the people of God. They're not God's chosen people. Matter of fact, they were fighting against God's chosen people. That doesn't make sense. You've got a foreigner here that isn't part of the family of God, and yet this is all about him. So as a matter of fact, the Lord had given them victory. The Lord had given them victory. That doesn't always sit right with us because we think, well, God's going to take care of his people, but other people he doesn't care about. You realize that God is the God of every person, like I said, every people group. We started talking about this. God's a God of women and men, right? God's a God of every nationality, every person group, every age, every size. He's God of tall people. He's God of the short people. He's God of, God of the fat people, God of the skinny people, God of everybody in between, right? So even though this isn't the people of God, he's working on their behalf. And in this case, the Lord gave victory to Aram or to Syria. Do you believe that God can use unbelievers to bring about his plans? I think that often we think that God is limited in what he can do, but he's able to do things far beyond what we can ask, think, or imagine. He can use bad people to bring about good things. we gotta, we got to understand that just because something good happened doesn't mean that it was just because that person was a righteous person. You know, bad leaders can make good decisions sometimes. Just like good leaders can make bad decisions sometimes, right? Anyhow, we'll go on. Now, Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, was great with a uh, great man with his master, highly respected. Because of him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was also a valiant warrior, but he was a leper. Now, the Arameans had gone out in bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, I wish that my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus spoke the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Aram said, Go now, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. He departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand shekels of gold and ten changes of clothes. 
He brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, And now, as this letter comes to you, behold, I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man is sending word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? But consider now and see how he is seeking to accord against me. Now, when we're reading this from our vantage, it's easy to judge the king for his lack of faith. It's easy to say, what's he thinking? Doesn't he know that God can speak and God can work through, the, through the, this? But if you think about it from the king's perspective, his response is legit. Somebody says, hey, I want you to do this thing. And you're like, I can't do that thing. Well, maybe we're going to come attack you then. It's like he was setting him up for a fall, right? It's almost like he was gaslighting him. Sorry, that word's going around so much these days. But it's what was happening, right? He was setting him up, at, at least in his mind. But it's great because the prophet's like, hey, look, just send him to me. I'll take care of this. Anyway, uh, I'm still getting, late, but getting ready here. Verse 8, it happened that when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent word to the king, saying, why have you torn your clothes? Now let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with horses and chariots and stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. Elisha sent a message to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times. Your flesh will be restored to you, and you will be clean. But Naaman was furious and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpor, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And a servant came near and spoke to him and said, My father, had the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then, when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. All right, so we need to break down the story just a little bit. You've got this dude that's excessively wealthy, right? The great warrior, but he has leprosy. He hears that there's a prophet in Israel who can, who can heal him, so he's like, okay, I'm going to go make the trip. I'm going to do it. Now, in the first two accounts, you have a poor widow. You have a wealthy couple. But this dude is loaded. Like, I mean loaded, loaded. This guy, he's so wealthy that he contacted the king of Syria and said, hey, uh, would you write a letter for me and, and tell him that I need some help? You don't talk to the king unless you're somebody special. So he, uh, the, the king does it. He sends a letter on his behalf. As the captain of the army, you know that he took his whole entourage with him, right? He wasn't going alone. He took a lot of people with him. He takes a huge, huge wad of cash. He's got a pile of Armani suits and Louis Vuitton clothes. He's going up. He's making a, he's making a big deal of this, right? The man of God is going to come out. He's, he's got it all worked out in his head. He's like, okay, here's, here's what's going to happen. The man of God's going to come out. We're going to, you know, exchange some, some pleasantries. You know, I'm going to give him some gifts. The dude's going to come. He's going to wave his hand over me. I'm going to be healed. It's, it's all good. You know, maybe he's going to give me a task. Maybe he's going to say, hey, I want you to go climb the highest mountain. Okay, whatever. He's, he's going to say, no, 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 I want you to go and, and, and uh, you know, build me a, a, a palace or build me a cathedral, whatever. That's not what happens. He's, he's going to go and he's going to, Ask me to, to, to route this city over here that, that's, been, that's been pestering us or bugging us. I got my whole army with me. We'll take them out in no time. This is great. I can do whatever it is you ask me. I'm ready to do it. He says, just go and dip in the, the Jordan. That's not what you're supposed to say, Mr. Prophet. That's not how this is supposed to work. You're supposed to give me something great to do. You're supposed to wave your hand over. This is the way this works. But that's not what he was told to do. Instead, he's told to dip in the Jordan. Now, for you and me, that doesn't sound like a hard thing. Once again, from our perspective, we can look at this and we can judge it and say, what's the big deal? Go dip in the Jordan. You're healed. Great. But do you understand how humbling that had to be for this man to do this? I mean, we're talking about a guy whose wealth we're talking like a Bill Gates type guy or something, right? Somebody whose wealth is just extreme. He's, he's, he's very wealthy amongst his people. And he's got to come. First of all, he's, he's making his way to a foreigner 
that worships a different God to him that he doesn't even think his God you know, means anything because if his God meant something, they wouldn't be so poor. They wouldn't be so oppressed, right? This took humility of an ex- you know, extreme humility for him to just, just to come and ask for help from this guy. But just like the two people before him, he was humble enough to ask. Not only, though, did he have to humble himself to ask for help, he had to humble himself to go wash in that dirty Jordan River. That's nasty. I mean, if I told you to go dip in the Conoquinescent Creek, anybody, anybody want to do that? That's kind of nasty, right? In this case, something was a little different than the other two cases. In the first two cases, they had to use what they had, right? Had to use the oil. They used the money to, to build him something. In this case, he had to not depend on what he had. He had to not use what he had. He was ready. He came with a lot of cash. He came with fancy suits. He came with all these things. Not this time. Put that stuff away. You don't need that. He didn't use his might. He didn't use his fighting men. He didn't use his strength. He didn't have to fight a battle. Remember this guy's connected to money and power. He could have done anything, made anything happen. He's used to to getting what he wants. Because as as Chris mentioned earlier, you know, cash talks, right? Cash is king. This guy came loaded. But no, your, your money's worthless here. We don't need that. Just go in a big ass. And thirdly, he had to obey the word of the Lord. Now, as I mentioned, it took a lot of humility to do that. And he almost missed out. Because his pride, ro- his pride rose up. And his pride said, hey, this isn't the way this is supposed to work. He was supposed to do this for me. I'm guessing that this guy was about to, like, destroy the city. He was, he was, he was, he was ticked off. And he very well could have taken his entourage and said, you know what? Let's just raise this whole place. Let's, let's just, just just destroy him because I'm I'm sick of this. This is not the way it's supposed to happen, and I'm upset about him. But fortunately, for him, his servants were able to talk some sense into him. And said, "Look, we didn't ask you to do something hard. Just said, go dip in the Jordan. Why don't you just give it a shot? What's the worst that can happen?" So he does, and he receives a miracle. Leprosy is cleansed. How many of you know leprosy doesn't just go away? Now, as a side note, this uh, miracle from God led Naaman to begin serving the true and living God. If you read on in the story, um, he actually asks, he says, hey, can I take a couple, a couple loads of dirt with me? Because when I go to worship in the temple that I have to worship in and stuff, I just want to worship on holy ground that, that belongs to the, to the true God, because I recognize that God is the God of, of all, right? So it led to his salvation as well, at least I believe so. So we see in each of these accounts, each of them were willing to ask of God. They were willing to ask for someone to pray with them, somebody to pray for them. Each of them did what they could with what they had, and they trusted God to do the rest. The woman with the oil, she obeyed. She did what she, what she could, didn't know what was going to happen. Matter of fact, she was so surprised by it that when she had all this oil, she was like, what do I do now? She had to ask the, ask the prophet what to do. He's like, well, go sell it. Make some money. Come on. What are you thinking? Get out of debt. She didn't know. She was just obeying, doing what she was told to do. Each of them did what they could with what they had and they trusted God for the rest, and each of them were obedient to the word of God. Now, this isn't just an Old Testament thing, though. We see this in the New Testament as well. We see the same thing in the account of blind Bartimaeus. It's in Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. I'm going to turn to Mark chapter 10, verse 46. It says this. Then they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were stirring the crowd and said, be quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and he said, Call him here. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, stand up. He's calling for you. 
Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. Bartimaeus, like the others that we talked about in 1 Kings there, he had the humility to ask. He actually cried out for healing. He didn't ask one time. Everybody else told him, shut up. You're being too loud. Cried out all the more. Son of David! And the more he cried out, I believe the more fervently he, he asked and knew, God, this, this man can heal me. He used what he had, which in this case was his voice. It's all he had was the ability to cry out, but he used it. And when Jesus called him, he jumped up and came to Jesus. He obeyed the word of the Lord to come up and receive. Now, this is just one of the many accounts we see throughout the New Testament of Jesus and his followers, you know, walking in the power of the Spirit and seeing miracles happen. We could go through all kinds of other ones. We can go through the, you know, the beggar that was told, hey, we don't have any silver or gold, but we, we do have, you know, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Same kind of thing, right? They, they didn't have anything. He didn't have anything, but he obeyed, and it happened. We can go through several different accounts. The reality is, in every, in every account, they're willing to ask or seek for healing or for, for the miracle that they needed in their life. In every account, they used whatever they could, but then trusted that God was going to make, you know, fill in the gap. And in every account, they obeyed the word of God and did what God said. And as a result, miracles happened in their lives. Now understand this morning, I'm not giving a three-part prescription on how to receive a miracle from the Lord. God does not respond to incantations or formulas. It's not about, hey, if you, if you do this and do that, then this is going to be the result. That's not, that's not the way it works. Okay? Some people have had hands laid on them and have been healed instantly. Some people have had hands laid on them and been healed over the next several months. Some people have had hands laid on them and never saw anything happen. Some people have prayed for God for a miracle in their life. They need a financial miracle, and they're expecting that God's going to provide by uh, giving them a new job. But instead, God says, hey, it's time to sell your house. Sometimes there's a financial miracle that happens because they think that, hey, I really need to sell my house. And so instead, I got a new job for you. Sometimes things work differently than we anticipate or we think that they're going to. The results don't always happen in our time. The results don't happen like we expect. As I mentioned before, Naaman, over and over again, Naaman had this idea in his mind. In his mind, it was all worked out. It's going to happen this way. This is going to be the result. And I'm going to, you know, praise God for it, whatever. And it took totally happened a different way. It was backwards compared to what he thought. The result was still that he got his miracle. Now, it's not a matter of having enough faith. It's not a matter of twisting your face into the right contortions and the right positions, holding your arm up just right to receive. That's just how you get cell phone signals, okay? But what I do see consistently is that God responds to humility. What I do see consistently is that God responds when his children ask. In Luke, we see it says that, that you know, the father doesn't, if, it, if his child asks for bread, he's not going to give him a stone, Right? God wants to give good gifts to his people. It says if your kid asks for an egg, he's not going to give him a snake or a scorpion, right? He's going to give him what he asked for. I believe that God wants to work on your behalf today. I believe that God wants to work on my behalf today. I believe that God wants to work in our families. I believe that God wants to restore broken marriages. I believe that God wants to heal broken bodies. I believe that God wants to heal broken hearts. I believe that God wants to set people free. I believe that God wants to do these things. And if we have the humility, first of all, to submit to him and to ask and then obey, 
I believe that we're going to start seeing results. I can't promise you that everybody's going to receive what they want every time right away. But I believe that they can receive. Amen? Last week, as we discussed John 5, 13 through 15, and the promise that we have in that scripture about asking anything in his name, he hears us. And if he hears us, we know that we have the request of him. If we begin to see his power at work in our life, in our situations, if we want to see his healing, if we want to see these things happen, we've got to position ourselves to receive. As we close this morning, usually the the prayer team stays over here to the side. I'm going to ask you guys to come forward this morning. My microphone just got hot all of a sudden. I don't know what happened. Um, Did it just turn on? Is that the first time it's been on this morning? Anyway, as we close, uh, we're just going to take a few minutes, and the praise team is just going to.